Today's episode is about lifestyle changes for slowing down aging with Dr. Michael Greger. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are a part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. The good news, we have tremendous power over our health, destiny, and longevity, the vast majority of premature death and disability is preventable with a healthy enough plant-based diet and lifestyle. There's been over 150 dietary surveys in these areas and found that really we should center our diets around whole plant foods. So minimizing processed foods, meat, dairy, egg, salt, and sugar, maximizing fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, or beans, split peas, sugar peas, and lentils, nuts and seeds, mushrooms, herbs, and spices, basically real food that grows out of our ground. These are our healthiest choices for health and longevity. I am so excited about today's episode. This is Dr. Gregor's third or fourth time on the podcast. If you are at all familiar with plant-based nutrition, you surely have heard Dr. Gregor's name. His new book, How Not to Age, just came out this week, and I was one of the fortunate people to get an advanced copy of his book. As we age, it's easy to get distracted by gimmicky supplements and hacks, but what if the fountain of youth can actually be found in the power of a healthy lifestyle? Driven by his passion to reduce suffering and improve health, I was excited to have Dr. Michael Greger back to share science-backed lifestyle changes that can help stave off preventable diseases and disability. From cognitive decline prevention to exercise to hormones to anti-aging strategies, this episode is a comprehensive guide to embracing a vibrant and rich future. If you enjoy it, I highly recommend picking up his book as it is chock full of information that you don't want to miss. Dr. Gregor's mission is rooted in his unwavering belief in the transformative power of a healthy lifestyle. His enthusiasm for educating people sets the tone for a captivating conversation that unfolds across various facets of healthy living. His commitment to sharing knowledge and empowering individuals to take charge of their health shines through the making of his new book, How Not to Age, which is a evidence-backed roadmap to a vibrant and fulfilling life. Taking a book this size and distilling it into a 30-minute podcast is no easy task, but today I kicked off our discussion by probing Dr. Greger about dangerous longevity hacks, including pharmaceuticals and supplements that might have unintended consequences on cognitive decline. We delve into the importance of a healthy diet, focusing on whole plant foods like greens, beans, and berries to safeguard against dementia. We discuss the power of eating habits in blue zones, which are areas in the world with the highest rates of centenarians. Plus, the huge impact consistent relationships and social connections have in mitigating negative emotions and stress, and can even decrease cardiovascular disease, according to the Harvard Study of Adult Development. On the other side of things, I recently read this week a paper from the Annual Review of Psychology. It's called How Can People Become Happier? A Systematic Review of Pre-Registered Experiments. There are many lifestyle changes in this document, but one of them is changing your diet. Some exciting studies using correlational and longitudinal designs suggested that eating more fruits and vegetables might promote happiness. So eating whole plant foods not only will help you live longer and age gracefully, but they will also help reduce negative emotions and increase happiness. 
Also, on the positive psychology side of things, improving positive emotions is also good for cardiovascular health and helps prevent cardiovascular death. We tend to hear that exercise is a cure-all for health. As we age, our bodies naturally need different types of support. In the sports and performance world, we are quick to rely on exercise as a cure-all. But Dr. Greger dispels the notion that more exercise is always better. He highlights the potential harm of excessive exercise, drawing attention to studies on endurance athletes, which you might want to hear about. Dr. Greger explains his daily walking routine and brings to light the low chance of injury with certain exercises like walking. The episode provides actionable insights, encouraging individuals to aim for five hours of aerobic exercise per week for longevity rather than top athletic performance and to emphasize recovery time. In my estimation, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue athletic achievement or that you shouldn't try to have athletic performance in your life. But what it does do for me is that when I am stressed that I'm not training enough due to a number of things in my life, I remember that you don't need to be doing a ton of cardiovascular exercise to promote longevity. So while you may not be supporting your athletic performance whenever life gets busy or maybe you're sick or something happens, you can still do things with exercise that are relatively easy to do, like walking that can still promote longevity. A big question that people ask me about for topics for this podcast is hormone transitions, specifically menopausal symptoms. Addressing hormone issues in middle age is something important, and Dr. Greger advocates for minimizing risks through a healthy diet and lifestyle. He cautions against medicalizing normal hormonal changes and advises against human growth hormone, menopausal hormone therapy, and testosterone supplements. The conversation turns to natural remedies for hormonal transitions and menopausal symptoms, highlighting the benefits of a plant-based diet and citing studies about symptoms around menopause, especially in women who consume soy foods and whole soybeans. And finally, we rounded the corner talking about sun exposure and anti-aging strategies for your skin. Did you know that unprotected sun exposure is responsible for 90% of visible skin damage? Aside from wearing sunscreen early and often, Dr. Greger offers some great natural alternatives for reducing wrinkles, such as topical vitamin C and niacinamide, while cautioning against harmful treatments that many people opt in for in order to have younger looking skin. Nuts and dark leafy green vegetables are a game changer for anti-aging because of their high nutritional value and anti-inflammatory properties. How Not to Age transforms from a book title to a personal invitation, a journey into timeless vitality. Dr. Michael Greger and I extend this invitation to you as this is how I am living my life, offering not just knowledge, but a compass for your healthy journey. From dispelling longevity myths to navigating the intricacies of exercise, hormones, and anti-aging strategies, this episode is a stepping stone to a life marked by vibrancy and fulfillment. Dive into the fountain of youth with us, embrace the extraordinary, and embark on your unique path to timeless health. So let's jump right in. Here is Dr. Michael Greger. And if you like this episode, check out our others, How Not to Diet and How Not to Die. Dr. Greger, welcome to the show. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. Question number one, where do you get your enthusiasm from? Oh my God. I get to wake up every morning and I go I get to reduce suffering by educating people about the good news who have tremendous power over our health, destiny, and longevity. The vast majority of premature death and disability is preventable with a healthy enough plant-based diet and lifestyle. So here's a question for you. As you've written these three mega books, How Not to Die, How Not to Diet, How Not to Age, 
What has been something that has surprised you or changed your mind about something? Um, all everything, all of the above. <laughs> I mean, I learned just as much as anybody else uh, looking at these books. I wasn't born with this information. The I was certainly not taught about this in medical school. Um, in fact, I've dealt with some topics like the you know microRNA chapter in the latest book that weren't even discovered when I uh, graduated from medical school. And so, um, it's a tremendous learning experience for me. I've got uh, all my assumptions thrown out the window, um, and you find out what the science says, what the best available balance of evidence is, changes my diet, um, and I just cannot wait to get this into the hands of many people as possible so they have the opportunity to learn as I did. So today we're going to dive into How Not to Age, which uh, when this podcast comes out, people can pre-order the book. And I highly recommend they do because I have an advanced copy in my hot little hand. Lucky duck. I know. So I guess my first question is, there is a lot of longevity hacks out there. I've seen people doing some pretty crazy stuff. What one or two things that people are doing are dangerous for them? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I'm really not familiar with what's happening out in the kind of the the lay world, the blogosphere, the uh, so I mean I can tell you what's happening in the peer-reviewed scientific literature, and there's still some crazy stuff in there. Um, uh, you know, uh, one thing people are doing, uh, they're taking a variety of drugs to stop aging, like metformin or rapamycin. I talk about those. Taking all sorts of crazy, uh, you know, supplements like resveratrol or some of these NAD boosters, which are not a good idea. Uh, yeah, probably mostly surrounds kind of pharmaceuticals and supplements people are taking that uh, whose you know risk benefit analysis is not good. Yeah, and I saw in your book, you know, there's a lot of studies out there, and people's ability to discern what is a good study and what isn't is is a little bit distressing. So I guess I want to ask. I'm going to break this into a couple categories. So number one, I want to talk about old old age because I think a lot of people fear you know, 70, 80, 90 years old, because they see what's happened to previous generations in their family. And they say, well, I don't want to live to age 80 or 90, because I don't want my life to look like that. So in your book, you have, you know, we talk about disease in many of your other books, lifestyle diseases, but in your book, cognitive decline is something that you talk about. And I know that that is of utmost concern to many people. So what are some things that people can do um, to reduce cognitive decline or prevent it altogether? Yeah, I mean, the good news is modifiable lifestyle factors contribute more, kind of outweigh the genetic component of Alzheimer's disease, the leading cause of dementia. What Basically, a what's good for the heart is good for the head. Alzheimer's disease is uh, related to the development of, of atherosclerotic plaque buildup in the cerebral arteries within the brain. And so the same dietary changes that can reduce cardiovascular risk can also help with cognitive health, like normalizing blood pressure in hypertensives can help prevent uh, cognitive decline. Aerobic exercise can improve brain function in both cognitively um, intact and cognitively impaired individuals. You know, these are some of the reasons why, uh, you know, non-vegetarians have up to two to three times the risk of developing dementia later in life because increased exposure to saturated fat, oxidized cholesterol, um, what they call these AGEs or gerontotoxins, advanced glycation end products, endotoxins, pollutants like DDT in the diet. And so the best dementia-deterring diet is uh, one that's low in added sugar, salt, saturated fat, animal products, and processed foods, and high in whole plant foods, particularly greens, beans, and berries. 
like planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> so you said low in you know sugar and salt. Like how low are we talking? Well, so I would encourage people to not add any salt to their food and reduce their intake of processed foods, which accounts for about 70% of the sodium intake in the American diet. So anything kind of a box or bag sold packaged often has salt added to it as a flavor enhancer. And so avoid minimizing one's intake of processed foods, not adding salt um, in the dining room or kitchen um, would help reduce one's sodium intake to the target of 1,500 milligrams of sodium a day, which is what the American Heart Association recommends one stays below. Um, and in terms of sugar, it's about ad- avoiding added sugars. So that's mostly, you know, like uh, the sugary beverages and, you know, confections and desserts, that kind of thing. If you want something sweet, eat a sweet potato, eat a piece of fruit. That's really the, the best way to get our carbohydrate intake. When you talk about added sugars, like does maple syrup count as an added sugar, for example? Maple syrup counts as an added sugar. The whole food in that case is the tree. Feel free to <laughs> gnaw on a twig. I, I've, I've tried to, to do that. Well, I've done it um, not on purpose. And <laughs> 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 mountain biking, sometimes you uh, your face hits the ground or hits yeah, a tree. Yeah. So it's not yeah, a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wear okay, your um, helmet, please. That's right. Always wear a helmet. And I guess I'm going to jump around since I just brought up mountain biking. You have exercise in your book as something on how not to age, but you alluded to the fact that there may be an upper limit to you know what is healthy for longevity. And I think you said something like five hours a week, one hour at a time, or even uh, for vigorous exercise, but that a lot of times it's recommended to just exercise because most people don't exercise enough. But the people listening yeah, yeah. to this podcast are going to be on the side of doing a lot of exercise. So like, are people aging themselves if they're exercising 10 to 15 hours a week of aerobic activity? Well, it depends how vigorous it is. Uh, there's definitely too much can be a good thing. Uh, but uh, as you mentioned, most Americans are at risk for getting too little, not too much. And so that's why, you know, public health authorities really don't bring up the fact that you can kind of overdo it. Um, and, uh, you know, studies suggest even 10, 15 minutes, moderate intensity aerobic exercise like walking can have beneficial effects. Um, in terms of enhancing mood, treating depression, improving artery function, insulin sensitivity, minimizing bone loss, helping balance, mobility, strength, bond down the list. Um, And so exercise, so in no way want to diminish the importance of exercise. Uh, But yes, I do talk about how, um, uh, you know, some of these studies on, you know, uh, triathletes, etc., show that you can indeed, um, uh, you know, the, the, the benefits of exercise are really in the recovery period. Rather than in the, the, it's the stress of exercise, which then acts as kind of a, uh, that which doesn't kill you, make you stronger, hormetic or hormesis response that then boosts your body's ability to defend off those stresses. But if you don't give your body that time to recover, um, you're not going to, uh, to maximize your benefits. So I guess I'm going down the rabbit hole a little bit into sports physiology, but like a lot of endurance athletes, they will train six days a week, you know, one to five hours a day, and then they take one day off per week. So, you know, from a performance perspective, that actually works pretty well. But from a health perspective, how do they know that they're overdoing it or not? Well, unfortunately, so this is, uh, we don't have interventional um, data either way, because mm-hmm. it's very difficult to get people to uh, comply with that kind of regimen or even, uh, you know, possibly comply, right? Um, in order to do that study, you'd have to get people with the capacity to do that kind of work and uh, and you'd have to follow them out long enough. 
and force those that fit to not be so fit for a while, which would be very difficult. But the observational evidence shows that, you know, if you take people, you know, for like a, a, a curve of like, you know, mortality versus jogging, what you get is basically what's called a, a J-shaped curve, where, you know, compared to people who are sedentary, you start jogging even just a little bit, or even fast walking, right? You get a drop in mortality, very beautiful. But at a certain level, people who are overdoing it can actually come back such that uh, they don't live any longer than sedentary people. And uh, so they're not necessarily living shorter lives than people who are sedentary. They're not cutting their lives short, but they are not, they're losing their advantage of their aerobic fitness. Um, and so we really want to kind of maximize. So there's kind of a um, an ideal point at which where we can get the maximum benefits. We did a lot with uh, various foods too, where you know we can overdo something, um, and there's typically kind of a nice not only safety window but a kind of maximum expected benefit window. Mm -hmm. And that's just a little shout out to people because I think people listening get stressed out if they're not training a certain number of hours or they think that they're you know not maximizing something. So. For those listening, you know, if you are doing five hours a week of aerobic exercise, you're actually doing the ideal amount based on the research that we have for longevity. It might not be the best for top athletic performance, but just thinking about that to take some of the stress off. Right. So, so Dr. Gregor, I wanted to kind of talk about some of the things that people start worrying about in middle age. Um, I just turned 40. So one of those things is hormones. We, we're hearing a lot about women's menopausal symptoms, and there's a lot of data coming out around that, but just and men's hormones as well. So like, what can people do to minimize issues with their hormones as they get older? Uh, yeah, um, there's certainly things we can do to combat the symptoms of a kind of late life hormonal transitions. Unfortunately, there's been this kind of disease mongering uh, medicalization of normal natural changes that sometimes can do more harm than good. Um, so to start with the things that you definitely want to stay away from, human growth hormone may actually accelerate the aging process, despite what it's being uh, marketed as. Oral DHEA, which is one of the rare steroid hormones, which because of some loophole is actually available over the counter fails to uh, significantly improve libido or sexual function, psychological well-being, fracture risk on that on the list. Um, has not The only benefit that's been shown is improving in vitro fertilization rates for women in their late 30s. The way you can do that naturally is by avoiding dairy consumption to prevent the accelerated ovarian aging due to the galactose breakdown products of the milk sugar lactose. Uh, menopausal hormone therapy, including the plant-based bioidentical hormones, can improve menopausal symptoms and bone health, but at a cost. And that cost is increased risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, breast cancer, fatal lung cancer, gallbladder disease, and blood clots. Um, though estrogen-only preparations for women without a uterus um, appear safer. In terms of so-called andropause, um, kind of For the men. testosterone, yeah, the <laughs> yeah. equivalent in men. Um, it's largely a marketing term invented by big pharma. Um, <laughs> testosterone, so-called replacement, fails to improve cognitive or physical function, energy, vitality, mm. depression, or bone health. Um, the only um, legitimate, genuine symptom of low testosterone is low libido, um, though the risks of taking supplemental testosterone likely outweighs any benefit. So if you want to increase your testosterone levels naturally, what do you do? You stay, you uh, lose weight, 
So obesity, sleep deprivation, and beer consumption all lower your testosterone. So it's all about eating and living healthier. In terms of a food that you could take, a single teaspoon of fenugreek seeds a day significantly boosts um, testosterone if you're having problems with low libido. And what are some food uh, options for women who are experiencing menopausal symptoms? Oh, yeah. So wait a second. How do you, you know, avoid the, you know, hot flashes without the whole clots and cancer thing? So soy foods, uh, in fact, there are two randomized controlled trials where put people on a, on a plant-based diet, which has been shown to help with menopausal symptoms, plus a half a cup a day of whole soybeans just out of a can. I found a significant drop in menopausal hot flashes compared to placebo. I think a, a 84 to 88% drop in moderate to severe hot flash symptoms by the end of, I think there's a 12-week study, uh, about 95% of uh, women in the plant-based and soybean group were free of moderate to severe hot flashes compared to uh, only a minority of those in the control group. So, um, and I also talked about there's some other things like um, fennel seeds and black cumin and um, some of the things that can um, help with some of the other symptoms of uh, beyond the kind of vasomotor or um, like hot flash, hot flush, night sweat type symptoms of menopause. Okay. Yeah. And I remember reading Neil Barnard's book, Your Body in Balance. It talks a lot about the benefits of a plant-based diet for many different hormonal issues and that eating a plant-based diet really helps with a lot of the menopausal symptoms. So that's a little shout out for people who are looking for that too, after they pick up how not to age. <laughs> yeah, no. So it's, a, I mean, there it's considered kind of inevitable, these symptoms kind of in the Western context. But for example, in Japan, there isn't even a word for hot flash in the Japanese language. That's because they have such low levels of not only the uh, hot flash type symptoms, but also um, the, uh, the the gentle symptoms like uh, uh, like uh, uh, vaginal dryness, significantly lower, presumably because of their soy consumption. And indeed, when put to the test, um, either soy foods or isoflavone supplements do indeed improve uh, menopausal symptoms. And for those of you who are raising a red flag about soy products, I'll link to some other podcast episodes in the show notes to uh, soothe your worries about soy because soy is really good for you. So Dr. Gregor, you were just talking about the Okinawans. In your book, you kind of go through some of these different diets, Mediterranean diet, the Okinawan diet, the Blue Zones. Can you just pull out some of the key things from those diets that people should know about that they should implement in their lives? Oh, you know, there's a new Netflix uh, series on the Blue Zones, thanks to uh, Dan Buettner's wonderful work. So the Blue Zones are areas around the world with the healthiest, long-living populations. There's been over 150 dietary surveys in these areas and found that really we should center our diets around whole plant foods. So minimizing processed foods, meat, dairy, eggs, salt, and sugar, maximizing fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, or beans, peas, peas, and lentils. Uh, you know, nuts and seeds, mushrooms, herbs, and spices, basically real food that grows out of our ground. These are our healthiest choices for health and longevity. So when people listen, they're like, yeah, this is all really stuff that I know, but I still just am eating these other things that I, I don't want to give up. Like I, I still want to eat like a burger now and then I still want to eat fish now and then. Is there a quote safe amount that people can eat of animal products if they don't want to go hundred percent plant-based? Oh, I think it's very important to realize that it doesn't matter what you eat on your birthday, holiday, special occasions. It's really the day-to-day -day stuff that adds up. It's important to recognize that, for example, in these reversal studies where they're reversing type 2 diabetes or heart disease, 
these are, you know, after people for, you know, six decades have been, you know, slathering their guts with, you know, burgers and milkshakes, and then all of a sudden go on a plant-based diet, and literally within a matter of weeks, the angina goes away, and we start reversing the disease process, suggesting the bodies want to be healthy all along, but we kept stabbing with a fork three times a day. All we had to do is give it a chance to heal on itself. And so um, the body has a remarkable capacity to heal from insult. And so as long as you're not, you know, constantly battling your body's natural healing process, it should uh, do a good job on its own. Of course, the earlier you can start, the better. Once we already have disease and we're in the context of what's called secondary prevention, trying to you know stop the second heart attack or something, then it's more important to be more serious about you know aiding your body's healing process. But uh, yeah, as a as a young healthy person, with the exception of like food poisoning or something, which can have long term consequences, it's really just the day to day stuff over decades that add, that adds up that makes really makes the most difference. Yeah. So the consistent actions are what matter the most. But something, Dr. Gregory, that I see is that somebody will have a major health issue. And fortunately, now people know that eating plant-based diets are the healthiest way to eat. It seems like you don't have to fight people for that idea. But people won't change their diet until after they've had a major health incident. They say, well, I can just wait because if I, you know, for a couple of weeks, I can just heal my body. So like, what's the problem in that thinking? Right. No, no. Hey, yeah. Why? Hey, look, if I can reverse, then why not, you know, go crazy my whole life and then just, <laughs> oops, I got heart disease. No problem. I'll just, uh, I'll just reverse it. The problem is that the number one cause of death from heart disease is what's called sudden cardiac death. So most people that die from heart disease, uh, their first symptom is their last. And so that is death within a matter of hours from one's first symptom in someone without known clinical heart disease, meaning you didn't even know you had heart disease. And your first symptom is your last. And so that's why, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth way more than a pound of cure because there is no cure for dead. So I also wanted to ask you about relationships. Like I saw that you had social connections in your book. There's um, some studies that I've seen about positive emotions actually having reducing the impact of negative emotions and decreasing cardiovascular disease. So relationships are important. The Harvard study of adult development also shows that relationships are, are incredibly important. How do relationships and connections relate to our aging process? Yeah, it appears to be indirectly through a lifestyle. So, for example, you know, death of a broken heart, someone that dies after their spouse dies, for example, that is because they start drinking, they start smoking, they start not taking care of themselves. If you actually control those for those factors, you don't see an elevated level of a death and disability with bereavement. And so, and that is similarly throughout kind of the stress literature, it is indirectly through the changes in lifestyle. And so you can be stressed as you want, as long as that then does not lead to the to the comfort foods that may comfort you, um, but ultimately be your demise. And, you know, I talk about this really kind of remarkable natural experiment in the book, both during World War I and World War II, the natural deprivations um, of wartime. So, for example, in World War II, the areas under Nazi occupation where all the livestock were killed off and people were left to live off of, you know, uh, garden vegetables and the grains that used to be fed to animals, you know, uh, you think, oh my God, there's no more stressful time than that. Heart disease must have went through the roof. No, it did the opposite. It dramatically dropped because people were forced to eat healthier. And so the same thing with diabetes rates. Um, until, of course, rationing ended and people got to go back to their bacon and butter 
and heart disease rates went back up as the stress was alleviated by the end of the war. Um, and so uh, what better you know, illustration of the subordinate role of stress to uh, these more important factors, uh, particularly diet? So I guess we only have a few minutes left here. I want to talk about skin because it seems like there's more prevalence of people like injecting stuff into their face and like doing all this stuff to try to make their skin look good as they get older. You know, I've my own opinions about that. But like, what can people do naturally so that their skin looks good as they get older? Like you have incredible skin. Um, uh, the number one most important thing to do responsible for 90% of visible skin aging is sun exposure. So yeah. <laughs> protecting yourself from the sun um, is really the most important thing. Everything else is subordinate. Um, nothing even comes close. Um, but I do talk about things that have been shown to reduce wrinkles, reverse wrinkles. I'm um, talking about some of the dangers of some of the um, various procedures and uh, something like uh, tretinoin or Retin-A actually associated with increased all-cause mortality. So I encourage people to stay away from that. But I do have like DIY kind of youth serum type things for topical vitamin C and topical niacinamide and ways you can make things really cheap that can uh, um, reverse some of the signs of aging. But it really is, you know, is is having that SPF 15 at least daily sunscreen use that's uh, really most important. Yeah. And you think about, we talk about pharmaceutical industry a lot, but think about the whole beauty care industry and how much money they're making off all these different creams whenever you have the things that actually work in your book that you can make on your own. So people don't have to be spending a, a small fortune on their skincare products. Yeah, no, it's outrageous. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we have about five minutes. I want to talk a little bit about your anti-aging eight. And I know that we don't have time to go through all of them. So people should pick up the book if they want to learn. What are your top two favorites? Well, um, I think people are happy to know that nuts are associated with the longer living compared to any other food group. Consumption of nuts associated with the lowest risk of premature death on a kind of a gram for gram basis and maximum benefit on just a palm full of nuts a day um, may be enough. Um, although too many uh, nuts over a cup a day may increase your risk of kidney stone. So again, you can overdo it just like with exercise. Um, peanut butter does not appear to have the same salutary effects. And the best nut is walnuts. If you had any nut to pick from. So just a palm full of walnuts most days of the week is one of my anti-aging eight. And the other one would be dark green leafy vegetables, which on a serving per serving basis is as good as nuts. I talk about greens in almost every chapter of the book in terms of preserving your vision um, preserving your muscle mass, strength and muscle performance, your cognition, much of which has to center around both the uh, cruciferous compounds, like in broccoli family vegetables, as well as the nitrates, found not only dark, dark and leafy vegetables, but also beets, actually um, cause a metabolic slowing, mimicking what you get with, uh, with caloric restriction, but instead of walking around starving all the time, you can just eat a big salad. And the nitrates also have anti-aging benefits for your arteries. But you only get those benefits because of uh, these particular good bacteria on your tongue. So you don't want to use antiseptic mouthwash and uh, tongue scraping and the regular consumption of nitrate-rich vegetables can actually boost the benefits of these bacteria. And you want to make sure that you minimize your intake of foods with lots of amides and amines like meat when you're doing eating a lot of greens because otherwise you can create these uh, nitrosamines and nitrosamides which are carcinogenic compounds. So 
this greens nitrate strategy is really only safe in the context of a plant-based diet. And eating these greens, like, is it okay if you put them in a smoothie or you cook them? Does that do change? It. That's oh okay. my God, do it. In fact, you can triple the bioavailability of lutein, this critical eyesight-preserving nutrient, by blending spinach as opposed to just eating it in whole leaf form. Okay, because I don't like eating spinach out of the package, but I love eating arugula out of the package. Oh, (laughs) now you're talking my language. You're making me hungry. (laughs) Yeah, I've actually been on a plane just like eating arugula. People are looking at me like, what is that person doing? Oh, that's great. (laughs) And it's light. And it's, I mean, what a great snack. Okay, so this last like two minutes here. Fun questions, not related to the book. How many miles a week do you walk on the treadmill? Uh, Well, um, so I do about 14 miles a day. So kind of adds up over time, but it's ridiculously slow. I'm walking like two miles an hour. So it's just because I work all day on a treadmill desk that it adds up. It's really not so much exercise as it is not being sedentary. So walking doesn't count as the like, quote, aerobic exercise. No, no, it does. But it has to be brisk walking. We're talking four miles an hour. You should be Uh able to walk a mile and back and, uh, you know, and get back in uh, 50. We want kind of 15 minute miles for our walking. So with walking, if you're walking slow, there isn't an upper limit. Like walking a lot is fine. Um, As long as you have good footwear. I mean, you can kind of, you know, get sore feet. I don't know. Trying to think. I'm trying to think if there's any downside. I mean, one of the nice things about walking as exercise, it has one of the lowest injury rates of any exercise. In my, I did a, I did a yoga video talking about like per thousand hours of jogging, of running, of skiing, of yoga, of blah, blah, blah. Lowest on the list, I think, was walking. And yeah, some things are really, <laughs> some things are not, you know, you don't want to do a thousand hours of bungee jumping. Let's just say that. <laughs> I bet somebody has. Well, Dr. Gregor, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time and getting to chat with you. And next time we chat, maybe I'll get on my treadmill too. That way we can walk together as we Sweet. Oh, let's do it. Treadmill challenge. So where can people find you? I uh, then go to nutritionfacts.org and check out my new book, How Not to Age, at your local public library. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Make sure you head on over to nutritionfacts.org where you can type in just about anything and get evidence-based strategies for preventing lifestyle diseases and other things that ail us. Make sure you pick up Dr. Greger's books, which are massive books with tons of references and information. How Not to Die, which goes into the top 10 causes of death for people and how to reverse, prevent, or slow some of them. And also How Not to Diet, which has evidence-backed strategies on how to safely and healthfully lose weight. I hope you enjoyed this powerful episode with Dr. Michael Greger. And if you're interested in being a plant-based athlete, if you are thinking about making switches, you're nervous about how this is going to impact your athletic performance, pick up the book, The Plant-Based Athlete. It's a New York Times bestseller. I was actually featured in this book. And you can get a lot of different perspectives and recipes and information from athletes of all different sports. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. I'll see you right back here next week. 